everybody. Welcome to the first ever Healthy Leader Network podcast. Uh, I'm Josh Singh, and today I have with me Paul Israelson, our district superintendent. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Well, it is, it's a pleasure. And really, the, the purpose around this particular podcast is to have interviews from various leaders in the district, uh, just to give us a good space in terms of where we're headed uh, into the future. We just really believe that the district has a bright future ahead, and we want to resource you with the best uh, stuff that we can so that we can see leaders encouraged, equipped, and able to do some great things in their uh, in their places of ministry. So, uh, sir, thank you for what you're doing in our district. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. No, we're I'm excited. Uh, just starting a obviously uh, it's a new season for our district. A very different leadership team, uh, but uh, but such a, a great opportunity too, and so many uh, so many things that we're looking forward to over this uh, new season. Okay, so let's get right into it. So, because this is the Healthy Leader Network, I, I guess the first question that we really need to go after is. What does a healthy leader in the SK district look like from your perspective? Well, I think, you know, as, as we all know, there are many, many, many books written on on leadership uh, from many, many different vantage points uh, of which, um, you know, there, there's no shortage of opinion on what makes a good, healthy leader. Uh, it also has no shortage of opinion on what is a what an unhealthy leader looks like. Uh, but if I could draw out one thing, uh, it would be uh, a man or a woman who keeps the why in front of them. In other words, uh, you know, a person, a leader who, who lives and serves out of the call of God uh, for the purpose that God has placed them there for. Uh, you know, it's, I, th- I think it's honestly the why that keeps a pastor going. Hmm. Um, it's the why that challenges them to keep growing. Uh, it's the why... That causes them to get up and and in the morning and go to work. Um, you know, if, if we don't have that sense of why, that sense of motivational, uh, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm I'm here for. Um, then then all of a sudden we we really lose momentum. We lose any sort of urgency to to accomplish to do. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about even with this question was, you know, if we have if we have the why the how of all the leadership and mm-hmm. and directional that can be developed yeah but if we don't have the why uh we're like a, a boat in the water with no no sense of momentum yeah. and it's really hard to steer a boat without a sense of momentum right so how how do you how how have you personally kept that why because it, i mean the reality of ministry is that it's hard like we love to act like everything's good all of the time, but the reality is many of us, especially uh, people that are not necessarily in multi-staffs or not not even multi-staff uh, members somewhere, like a five or less, when you're the solo person, mm-hmm. it is really hard. It is. Uh, lots of times you're just, you're just wanting to have some kind of community or some kind of relationship with somebody else where you can bounce off ideas, and lots of times you find yourself, uh, because of distance, too far away. So how how can you how would you encourage somebody um, who is in that type of context, even on a multi-staff? Like sometimes there are so many people, there's so yeah. many things going on. How do you keep the why in front of you? Yeah. So uh, having pastored about seven and a half years down in Swift Current, I was an hour and a half to our nearest Payok Church, mm-hmm. um, 
And, and so for me, uh, having that, that immediate connection uh, with some of our POC guys didn't work out so well, but I did have local ministerial, yeah. uh, which, which helped. I mean, uh, you know, we, we talk about things even in the POC, we're better together. But a lot of times we don't really take advantage of that togetherness. Um, you know, I find for myself, my why, uh, and, and I mean, that's this is part of my personality buildup. Uh, I like to get things done, but I like to get things done with other people. So mm. I'm, a, I'm a cooperative, collaborative-minded uh, individual when it comes to leadership. And so having, having other people around me uh, fostering connections, uh, that, takes, that takes work and intentionality. Mm-hmm. And unless we're willing to engage people um, and and build relationships with other pastors, other leaders, um, people in my own congregation, um, you know, just people that I could run ideas by, uh, shape ideas with, uh, really, really help me. But even that said, I mean, I remember a story uh, in my own life about four four years ago, five years ago. Uh, difficult season. Uh, right around that time period, my father had passed away. Uh, we had a, a core couple in our church move away. Uh, they were the they were the ministry minded couple that I I really relied on. And and suddenly you're losing uh, some of that you know that that extra help that you really really rely on. And I remember having it out with God one day. I was in the sanctuary of our church, walking around, just yeah. venting with God, saying, you know. Like, God, I just feel like such a failure. I just feel like I'm just not not accomplishing anything here. And and I said, God, you're going to have to have somebody phone me because I'm not going to phone somebody else to tell them how badly I think my ministry is yeah, going. Yeah. And uh, and so in the meantime, I mean, this was in the morning. And by afternoon, I was even kind of writing an email to uh, to a mentor friend. Just And I was debating on do I hit send or do I hit delete. And, and in the meantime, the phone rang. And, uh, and, uh, and so I answered it and it was Priscilla Cochran from our international office and Priscilla phones and says, you know, Hey, I'm just phoning around. Uh, if you remember me, I said, yeah, I remember she's phoned other times and, and she said, I just wanted to see how you're doing. And, and, uh, you know, just wondering if, uh, you know, how we can support you. And I said, well, and I did what everybody does in these moments. Oh yeah, I know things are going well. Uh, you know, things are going all right. I'm just uh, plugging away, just kind of, you know, busy, busy, you know, all the whatever excuses that we yeah. give. And and meanwhile, you're having probably the, the most difficult season of ministry in that space you've ever, you've ever had. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm totally, totally empty and totally <laughs> frustrated and I'm still playing the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what, what probably was the absolute best thing that could have happened was that she called my bluff. Oh, wow. And she said, if you don't mind me saying, you don't sound like everything's fine. Wow. And, uh, and it was in this moment I just said, okay, Lord, uh, I asked for this, didn't I? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and so here, here, then I just kind of laid it out and, and it was out of this conversation that, that enveloped that, that she was able to put me into some connection with, uh, with a couple of people just to, one was a, a coach out of the, uh, she didn't have any locally here and we'll talk about that in a bit, yeah, but yeah. Um, but one of those was a, was a coach out of Ontario, uh, um, Luch Lombardi, uh, chatted with him, uh, just, and it was so helpful just to have somebody give me just different eyes to see the situation. So, you know, and it, so, so here God provided and, and, uh, and it, it really was a turning point for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that helped you keep the why was those particular moments. And I love that you said that God isn't necessarily the how is kind of up to everybody. I mean, when you think of the Great Commission, for mm-hmm. example, right? Like here, here's the what and the why you're doing it. Yeah. But the how uh, every individual person or every individual church does the Great Commission. That's really up to them in the way that they're listening to the Spirit um, for their particular areas and their context whatever God is calling them to. And I think it's very interesting that you, you actually said that. So um, so when it comes to that space of health, the why, part of it is community. But I- any other thoughts that you have for us in terms of what makes a healthy leader, what, what you would see as a healthy leader or you hope to see as a healthy leader in the Saskatchewan district? Well, and, and again, this is somewhat uh, tied into this concept of holding that why. Um, so, so on one end of the scale, it's it's knowing you're not alone, or at least intentionally making sure you're not yeah. alone to stay healthy. But the other thing is, I think the why propels us to growth. Like if we don't have a sense of purpose and calling, mm-hmm. uh, and holding on to that and working toward that, I, I I guess I guess to say this is that holding on to your why does require work. Um, it, you know, I was, I was visiting with my uncle, um, who is a retired minister in Alberta and, uh, and he was, he was sharing a scripture one time with me about where, where Paul says to Timothy about stir up, you know, the gifts, you know, stir up that, that, that calling, um, that was, you know, given to you by the laying on of hands. And uh, and to stir it up, I mean, I've been out at the out at the camp, Living Waters Camp, and I've been having the fires there, and and that fire will grow, you know, you know, Quite quiet dim. and dim, and yeah. and and you grab that poker stick and and you stir it up, right? You stir it up so that there's there's airflow there, there's a freshness that comes into it. Mm-hmm. You stir it up to to add new fuel to the fire, and and it takes intentionality. It doesn't just, you know, boy, I sure hope that flame comes back to life for me. You got to put some work into to kindling that thing again, and and for some of us that that kindling that or that 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 flame of our lives has gone down to maybe even almost outright cold yeah. coals, right? And and it it's, it'll probably take more work to to kindle that thing, which I think really leads to the benefit of making sure we don't lose that why in the first place um, by by holding on to it now while we while we do have a sense of, of fire in us it's easier to maintain that than it is to lose it and rekindle it hmm. but it's not impossible I believe either way uh, but we do need the Lord's help we do need each other and uh, and we do need the the resources uh, around us and and those are things that we want to provide as a district to help our pastors succeed that way so just on, on that end, really, what, what is your vision for that? I mean, you're brand new to the position. You, you've had some time in terms of transition, but as you've taken this step in becoming the, the, the superintendent of our district, like what what is your heart lent towards to, to see happen in the next four years of your tenure? Yeah, so I've been thinking uh, for, the, for the longest time, and it was probably back in... Uh, probably in the winter even having a good conversation with one of our other pastors and uh, about being a resourcing center really for our district mm-hmm. um, recognizing that that uh, the the district does not you know churches don't exist for the district I mean churches aren't 
there so that we can have a job yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But but we have this opportunity to really serve our churches. I mean, it's 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 really an upside down pyramid in the sense that we are we are seeking to serve our churches and to serve our pastors and to to resource them and preferably well. And so so some of those things are very practical resourcing. Um, you know, one of the, some of the you know having pastored. Um, I was first a youth pastor in Wainwright, Alberta. And I, I went into this role. I was I was interning, and just for the comfort of any of our Payock listeners, uh, it wasn't a Payock school I went to, and it, it was a Payock church, but I was uh, it wasn't our district, so they can breathe a little easier in Saskatchewan. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I went in, and 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 it was basically here's your job: run a youth program. Um, well, here's the problem: I didn't really even grow up with a yeah. uh, a youth program in the, in the sense that many of our churches do. Our our youth group activity growing up in small town Alberta was shooting gophers. So, I mean, I mean that, and that is a pretty epic youth program. I mean, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. <laughs> but uh, but to actually structure something and and to to develop something, well, you know, so I have a Tuesday night Bible study and I and I have a Friday night youth event and a Saturday night or Saturday fundraising event and and all the while I was working full time outside the church yeah. and and uh, and I just couldn't keep up and I was dropping the ball left and right and I I, I left that that position feeling totally defeated, totally empty and frustrated almost actually almost capsized my ministry early on um on a greater scale we we sort of do this with uh with some of our churches we we hire a pastor preferably our churches would would like to hire pastors with experience what experience have they gained well we don't really know um some pastors are much more focused on ministry and less focused on administration but administration matters absolutely and uh and so some of those details of ministry can can derail us so so providing resources for administration help you know how can we how can we help train our pastors up and and not just our pastors but our boards and and not just our boards but our uh you know our bookkeepers and what have you uh so we want to we want to and we have already resources that way but we want to make sure that our churches are realize those resources um, training in other aspects too would, would uh, you know, in regards to ministry, whether it be worship, uh, outreach, and so some of that is going to translate into uh, the development that we're currently developing a coaching position for our district. Oh, awesome! That's and amazing. so we are we are excited uh, to to uh, to look down this path and to to say, you know, it's not enough for us to just simply say, here's a manual and here's a book, but we want to have somebody that can come into our context, listen to our stories, meet with our leaders, meet with the community, uh, and begin to help pastors see things from a different perspective, help their boards see things from a different perspective. And, and I know for myself, I would have loved that in Swift Current. Absolutely. Um, when I first walked in, I had fresh eyes and I was saying, man, this wall needs painting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then people say, oh, really? I hadn't really thought about that. You know, I guess I just walked by it for every so every week for the last, you know, 20 years that I've been part of this church. But but suddenly you have somebody come in with just fresh eyes saying, have you considered this? Have you seen the opportunity here? Uh, what would it look like if you tried that? Um, how can we help resource you? What is it that you need? You know, these types yeah. of important questions. Um, so we're excited uh, to be working uh, toward that. We'll have some announcements as to what that really looks like in the near future. But for now, uh, that's that's the direction. Well, I, like I know the thing with ministry is even in the 15 years I've been in it, um, it has changed. 
Mm-hmm. Like the game has completely changed in terms of the way that we relate, not only to congregation members, the, t- the, the globalization changes, the technology changes, uh, attitude changes, cultural changes, all of that stuff. Like it, it is a different world now to do ministry in. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes many, many credential holders feel completely alone and have no idea how to navigate it. Uh, And lots of times just kind of go back to old ideas that seem to work. And then when they try them again, it doesn't. And so guys get frustrated, you know, gals get frustrated. We don't know exactly how to, where to go and and who to turn to. And unfortunately, I think sometimes, uh, you know, in, in particular PAC culture, we've created this space where We'll go to conferences, whether district or national, and people will ask, well, how you doing? And we do exactly what you yeah, did. Yeah. And we oh, say, doing oh, fine. everything's good. Yeah. Like, church is growing? Absolutely, it's growing. Meanwhile, like, attendance has gone down. You're, you're struggling financially. You're trying to figure out where you, you can kind of navigate the whole thing. And what I love about what you're saying is that you do see it as a, the district as a resourcing center for pastors that are in, in the thick of it, in the front lines, just trying to make a go of reaching their communities for Christ and leading congregations to being equipped and vital parts of their communities. So I think, I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, we throw out the term, like I said earlier, we're better together. Um, but we don't really realize just how true that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, if you look even in the biblical account, I mean, ministry was never in a vacuum, you know, ministry was never off to yourself. I mean, there's always somebody there uh, to come alongside somebody there to, you know, to carry different parts of the ministry. And so the gospel, you know, evangelism happens in this community, but it's not until the other leaders come that people are baptized in the spirit. I mean, mm-hmm. you just recognize that, that ministry is not all on you. Mm-hmm. And there's something immensely freeing about that. And, and to recognize then, okay, how can we, how can we have important and necessary conversations with our church? Well, sometimes the pastor can't have that conversation. Uh, themselves, but you have somebody come in, sit down with the team and say, you know, and all of a sudden they hear it firsthand and all of a sudden, oh, hey, you know, we can do this. And there's excitement that begins to brew. And, uh, and you know, and it, and, and it wasn't that the message changed. Yeah. It's just, it's come from a different voice. And so, so these are, these are things that, that I think we need to recapture. We've we've been self-governing assemblies uh, to the point where we are so independent assemblies mm-hmm. almost uh, to our detriment at times. And uh, you know we we need to recapture um, this sense of 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 inter uh, church community mm-hmm. um, supporting each other and and helping each other really achieve that that only com- uh, commandment that we were or commission that we were ever given was to go and make disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and if we look at our track record, unfortunately, we've got a lot of work to do. Well, I mean, nationally, the numbers are not, are not, uh, are not great. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at it, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, even when you're looking at like, take a city for, in, like Saskatoon, for example, yeah. I mean, in the surrounding area, there's about 300,000 people, uh, give or take. So let's say we're incredibly generous and we say 10% of the entire city are dedicated, devoted followers of Jesus. That's 30,000 people. Uh, as long as my math correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. Okay. Well, how, how many does that leave? That's 270,000 people yeah. that are not engaged at all or disconnected, de-churched. 
uh, or completely unreached for the sake of the gospel. And so you know, sometimes I think what we do is we look at our church and we say, oh, good job. Like, you know, people are coming. You have a stable income coming through. Uh, you know, you're adding you're adding staff or, you know, whatever. There's there's changes in in uh, in in finances, all, all kinds of stuff like that. And we almost look at it and say, wow, we've almost we've we've arrived or we're doing pretty good. Instead of saying, well, look at the thousands of people yeah. that desperately need to hear the gospel and need to be engaged with the truth of Christ in, in a way that would absolutely change their lives. So when it comes to that, what what is your challenge? What What is your encouragement to the pastor that might be hesitant? It, there's a bit of hope there. It's like, okay, well, I hear, I hear Paul talking about resources. I hear him talking about that we're better together but there's maybe a bit of gun shyness to engaging and to moving ahead with that. What, what would be a challenge or encouragement to that pastor? Well, I think, first of all, uh, any, any change that we're going to make, um, it, it is going to be scary. Um, there is going to be, uh, what if people don't buy in? What if, uh, what if it flops? What if it fails? All right, I tried that before, you know, we, we get discouraged and we get, we get a bit, uh, you know, like you said, gun shy over, over, do I, do I dare hope again? Do I dare engage again and get shot down again or whatever it is? And, uh, you know what, I don't know why my, my mind goes to Psalm 42 and, and 42 has been kind of one of those ones for me that I've looked at a lot over the years, you know, uh, you know, the psalmist is just looking at, at everything, how everything's gone from, uh, you know the good old days to to the to the now where people are saying all day where is your god you know and you're feeling deeply discouraged and that wasn't that isn't actually the worst of it the worst of it is the fact that uh the psalmist himself i think it's in verse nine says why have you forgotten me O god so it, it's not even that other people are saying where's your god they themselves are at that place of saying you know you know god I feel like you bailed, you, you bailed on me here. Like you, you're disappeared on me here. Um, but he makes that, he makes that decision, he makes that decision to say, you know, but I'm going to put my trust in you. Yeah. You know, why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise in my savior and my God. And, and I think for, for one part is that this is, this isn't going to be mood music type, uh, altar call and, 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 uh, cry at the front type, type of a decision. I, I remember one moment in my life where I made a decision that I was going to, I was going to serve God, even if he never blessed me with anything else. I can tell you that decision was very cognitive in the one sense that I just yeah. said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And, and I, so I, 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 I don't want to give the implication here that there's going to be some deep seated, uh, cry at the, at the front type of a moment. But, but I think it has to begin with a decision. Yeah of saying, you know, God, you placed me here for a purpose yeah, yeah. and recapturing that sense of, okay, God, you've, you've obviously had me here now. Uh, Lord, help me to, you know, I'm, I'm committed, Lord. So help me now to, to refocus and to re-engage. And then the other aspect I think is going to be, uh, as you, um, as you, as you put even that one log on the fire, um, you know, it might it might take a little bit for that flame to catch, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so having a sense of of patient endurance with that matters as well. Um, you know, and and recognizing that that you know, 
when I'm when I'm investing in in this ministry when I'm investing in myself and, and I'm and I'm I'm adding that one thing maybe it's maybe it's coaching conversation maybe it's maybe it's uh, you know you know picking up some books some resources maybe it's going to a seminar or a summit uh, and sharpening my myself a little bit uh, those things are going to have an advantage those things aren't aren't useless types of types of things but um, I'm I'm really quite quite hopeful uh, that that we can uh you know within the within at least the district side of things uh begin to uh to really engage this question more and more how do we help our churches recapture uh the great commission how do we how do we re-engage a community of you know maybe it's not 300,000 like Saskatoon sure, sure. maybe it's 300 yeah uh but saying you know God, you've placed me here. Uh, help me to see, not not to be comfortable with the with the twelve or or five hundred or whatever number it is that attend our church on a Sunday morning, but help me, Lord, to be concerned about the ones that are not here, yeah, yeah, yeah. and help me to incur, you know to engage the church with that same same question. And, Absolutely. And uh, recapturing a heart for the lost is, I think, it's paramount. I think it's absolutely necessary. And see, the the older I get, the longer I'm in ministry, the more the more I realize, like it's not that people in our churches don't have a heart for it; it's that they don't know how. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's it's that we say things like, "Oh, even if one person comes to the Lord, you know, the heaven goes crazy and there's a party," and everyone feels that, and emotively they know that that's true. Theologically, they know that's true. Uh, I know in every sense they know that's true, but for them to be equipped with what they need to go and share the good news with people that are so far away from God, that uh, I think it's very intimidating for people. And so it's, I don't think it's so much a, they don't want to, I think it's that they don't know how. And I think a lot of our pastors in 2019 don't necessarily know how either, mm-hmm. right? We've kind of taken cues from stuff that worked years ago and now in this new environment, we, we have no idea how to navigate. So, uh, so as a district, I think the very fact that your heart leans towards how can we equip pastors to ultimately equip their churches, and that's, uh, that, that is am- ambitious, one, but two, I think it r- is really uh, the heartbeat of what God wants for us today. Yeah, and I think it's really, you know, to engage our communities with the gospel is 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 a changing you know changing our methodology with an unchanging message and that's and that becomes the challenge right so how do you how do you engage uh, a post-christian almost you know beyond just post-christian it's it's uh there's almost a uh hostility even to christendom at least in its truest sense so um you know this becomes part of our challenge of saying okay you know we need Holy Spirit wisdom here, and uh, and we also need to learn from each other. Um, how do we how do we engage that? So, oh, I th- I think it's good, and I also want to kind of pick your brain. This is just kind of uh, another question I have. In the last few weeks, there has been some some very prominent evangelical leaders that have kind of said, uh, not kind of said, they said, "Look, I I don't believe in this whole thing anymore." So a guy like Josh Harris. Uh, even I think it was two days ago, one of the writers um, from Hillsong, his name is Marty Sampson, 
uh, came out and was like, I'm, I'm not doing this thing anymore. I have too many questions, too many doubts. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with this Christian faith. And uh, the reality is I think there's a lot of folks within our churches that are, are kind of at that cusp of looking at evangelicalism, even some of our POC uh, partnerships that we're a part of, and they've been tracking for so long and it almost feels like there's not necessarily anywhere to go further than, than where they are. So how do we navigate that effectively and well? Because ultimately the reality of faith is that it is faith. But as we watch young adults and guys in their 30s and 40s, I'm struck by the fact that many people are willing to walk away from their particular faith journeys because either it doesn't make sense, there are too many doubts, there's it's too much of a struggle. And so how how for a lot of the folks in in uh, like rural Saskatchewan, for example, where there are maybe young families, younger folks that would have had maybe bad experiences in the past uh, and that's affected the way that they see God now, how do we navigate that effectively and well so that we can be encouraging, loving, stay true, uh, stay on message, uh, stay theologically accurate as well, and yet open up our churches and our arms to people that would completely and utterly disagree with us? Well, that's a big, big question, no doubt. Uh, I hadn't actually heard of, of those uh, stories you referred to, which is deeply disheartening when you hear uh, prominent Christian leaders say, you know, I, I don't know about this anymore. I'm, I'm walking away from this. Uh, and, and somewhere along the line, obviously, uh, they, you know, they've, they hit a, a place in their, in, their, in their faith where it was, it was no longer life-giving. It was just simply routine. Mm. Um, and, I th- and I think routine is, is such a, a dangerous place to be. Uh, when you think about a marriage and you think, you know, we get into a routine in our, in our marriage where you're, where you're no longer lovers anymore, uh, you're just simply cohabitators, you know, uh, what happened, you know, where, where did that die away? And, you know, we, we, we obviously recognize scripturally that in the last days, many will fall away. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and this of course, you know, leads of course to another conversation and, or it could go to another conversation, but, uh, so we recognize the, the biblical reality. We also re- recognize the cultural reality. Um, but I, you know, the one thing that just comes to my heart is, is, you know, even, you know, what Jesus said to John in the letters to Revelation, letter to Ephesus, you know, do the things you did at first, Mm. um, about rekindling that love. And so going back to the marriage analogy, uh, you know, I've heard of couples that, you know, their marriage was absolutely dead, um. One, one husband decided to, uh, well, you know, maybe I'll just write down all the things I love about my wife. And so he thought and he thought and he thought and he thought and he thought. And, and finally he, he wrote one thing down. Mm-hmm. I like her cooking. That was it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, does that sound like a healthy marriage? Absolutely not. I mean, it's just held together because of food. Because of food. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a couple of weeks later he caught something else and he, and he wrote that down Mm -hmm. and maybe a few days after that wrote one more thing down and, and over the course of time had, had several pages listed, listing things that he, 
loved about his wife and in do, doing so fell back in love with his wife mm-hmm. and you know maybe that's a bit simplistic but uh, but you know when we, when it comes to our, our love and our faith in our Lord uh, I, I sometimes wonder what has what has drawn our heart away uh, what are the things that have mm-hmm. have taken our love away and our attention away um, to know you more, Andy uh, Park wrote a book um, on the heart of a worship leader. That was one of my my uh, major studies was was worship leadership, and he says I can't lead uh, others into the throne room of God unless I know how God feels about me. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes some of our leaders have gotten into the routine and have forgotten the simplicity that God loves them right. and is passionate about them. And, uh, and and fostering that that relationship ourselves. Now, how do we handle that in regards to our congregations and, and the, the situations where, where uh, you know, church member or somebody else comes up and they, and they lay out their burden before you saying, I think I'm, I'm done here. Uh, I, think, I think part of that stems from, and this is not hanging anything on the pastor here, yeah. but but our churches, by and large, are not places that that are really prayerfully hungry and seeking the things of God. And but I find my prayer is is similar to Habakkuk, where Habakkuk saying, "Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Yeah. Lord, in our like renew them in our day and in our time. Lord, I don't want to just hear about the things yeah. that you've done in times past, but I want to experience that that newness and that and that passion and that hunger again." And uh, I don't think there's a microwave solution to it other than becoming a people who, again, cry out and seek the face of God. And, uh, and I, I don't know if we can formulate that beyond, beyond just simply getting back, getting close again to the Father and the love of the Father and, uh, and, and letting that that love that the fire of the holy spirit kindle us again so what so a lot of a lot of the conversation is around people's doubts and so i i think in churches we would say things to our congregation members like hey you know if you have doubts that's okay uh you know i'm happy to, to probably navigate that with you and and walk with you through those things so is that the same at a district level like if if there are pastors that have doubts are struggling are going through difficult things are uh, struggling in their marriages struggling in their relationships with their kids or literally are wondering about this whole God thing I mean I, I mean how many times have I heard of pastors who have been in ministry for like 40 years 30 years and uh, their heart has grown cold what they once believed they no longer believe there's been a lot of processing a lot of different kind of academic study that might have even kind of led them towards uh, some different ideas and thoughts. Not that academics is, is bad. Uh, Jeremy Martini, I love you. You're great. You're doing a great <laughs> job. Um, but ultimately, at the end of it, there are people, there are pastors that have doubts. There are pastors that have struggles. There are pastors that have things that they're involved with that are so against their consciences that they're ready to, to kind of ditch ministry altogether. Uh, so how, as a district... Is there first of all? Is there room for that? Is there room for pastors to struggle and not to hide in the dark caverns of their doubts? Um, is there space for them to to actually talk about that stuff together? Well, I think if there isn't, 
then we're really in trouble um, because it's it's when we when we aren't willing to be real with our struggle that it leads to uh, the hidden sins that that really are far more destructive and destroy not just a, you know not just a, a pastor in, in ministry or, or his family but the church or the community it, yeah. you know we we need to to recognize first of all we are human uh, we have we have our own failings we have our own questions we have our own fears we have our own uncertainties uh, and and we're just as human as the people that sit yeah, you know whether in, in our in our pews or our chairs on a Sunday morning, or the or the person who's who's uh, next door to us. I was watching uh, sports uh, news the other night, and everyone was uh, just in awe of this uh, young Canadian tennis star and mm-hmm. saying she once practiced on this court. I once talked to her, and and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, idol- idolization gets really funny, right? Absolutely. You know, you, you kind of forget the humanness yeah, of somebody yeah. when they're on a when they're on a pedestal, uh, as if they're somehow other in some variety. Uh, we're not other. We're all the same. Yeah. We have the same struggles, and and you know, I think this is why you know, in this you know part of our our goal with our credential care team is going to be uh, you know district area pastors and 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 care and counseling that we make available. Uh, to help our pastors and our not just our pastors but our but our credential holder families yeah, yeah. Uh, to navigate these these concerns, you know, uh, that there are people there that that care about them, mm-hmm. and and if they don't know that they're loved one when they're going through a struggle, uh, that's really not a, a true form of love. That's you know, if we're only loved when we're perfect, that's that's a fake. Yeah. artificial sort of a love that's that's not even pure at all um, but we want to be a loving caring uh, district that that is engaged in the life of our credential holders and their families and and that's going to take work on our part sure. but not just not just at the district table I really don't want to see our care just isolated to the the uh, 10 or so great people that sit around the table mm-hmm. um, but this is really an onus on all of us as across our our district yeah. to uh, pick up the phone, call the guy down the road. How's it going with you? Yeah. Oh no, things are going fine. Yeah, things are going good. You know, if you don't mind me asking, uh, are things really going that well? Yeah. You know, and and having these conversations and and do people know that they can be real with their with their struggles? And I think out of that, uh, I think gives an opportunity for people to work it through. Yeah. You know. Uh, it's like I said, it's not going to be a microwave answer, um, but it is something I think that if we can have honest, real communication with people that really love us and really care about us, mm. uh, we're we're far more apt to to work it through than suffer alone. Well, I just I the reason I, I, I asked the question is because I think a lot of times, especially in the, in the cultures of, of the districts that I've been a part of, there's this there's this fear of actually telling people how you're doing out of fear that you'll lose your credentials or that, you know, something else is going on that uh, will affect your livelihood, uh, affect your family in various ways. But, but my, I think my biggest concern is if we don't get to that point where people can share their struggles, Mm -hmm. 
in a space where they're not afraid that they're going to just automatically lose their credentials, that there are, that there are conversations that happen preventatively so that we don't get to a point of an extramarital affair, stealing money, like all of the big stuff that we end up as pastors getting, uh, you know, characterized with of all the, the failures of every pastor yeah. that has ever, ever been. Um, you know, those are, they, you have to have preventative measures to, so that you don't get to that point. Yeah. And so the very fact that you're saying that there, there is space. Oh, we, we have that. credentialing, uh, cre- you know, counseling options available. I mean, th- I think that part of it, like even when I was going through my struggle, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I was given both counseling options and coaching options. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in that moment, I, just, I felt like I needed coaching. Yeah. But there might be others that say, you know, I just, I just need, I need some counseling. And, and I think there's some great programs out there and things that we would make work for, for families. Uh, maybe it's marital struggles. And let's, let's, you know, let's see your marriage thrive. Absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, you know, I'm really struggling with my kids. You know, I tried to, I'm raising the church to love Jesus and my family's falling apart. You know, how do we navigate that? Well, you don't navigate it alone. Um, you know, we, we want to, we want to walk with with people through that uh you know there's there's retreat centers that we know yeah. about there's um and that we can you know we can help people get to as as they need and so we really do want people not to just survive ministry yeah. you know yeah, yeah. uh That's but great. but to but to thrive in it and and to look back on years and say you know wow god you've been so so faithful mm-hmm. uh, I was just speaking a message the other day um, I think this was up at uh, Kenwood Centennial and and you know when when the Israelites crossed the Jordan and, and the Lord said go get 12 stones out of there yeah. and they and they and they put them and they stacked them together and you know when people ask what do these stones mean I mean what what do these stones mean what do the stones mean in our lives those marker points you know to look back on now some might say well i i was here you know i you know or or i survived the wilderness you know those are my my stack of stones to say hey we or or this was a good river crossing spot or whatever you know but really those stones uh as joshua says in joshua 3 he says you know that that we would be able to 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 declare the faithfulness of god that brought us not just through the red sea but also through Mm -hmm. the jordan and uh, or or Samuel sets up a stone, calls it Ebenezer, a stone of help that says, you know, thus far the Lord has helped us. And and these stones do two things for us. They help us to look back and anchor ourselves in what God has done. And I think there's power in testimony yeah. of of remembering the story yeah. uh, to help deal with those doubts and questions. Uh, my grandfather had many t- testimonies and stories. Uh, that anchored my faith early on. And now as I've grown and I've seen God move, I've got my stories. And I think we need to recognize and remember those stories. But those but but that those rocks don't those stones don't just say what God has done, but they also give us a I think a directional point to to recognize going forward he's also going to be my strength. And uh, and so we recognize that with the Lord on the district level, boy, we sure want to make sure that our our credential holders know that it it's okay um, to to struggle, and when you struggle, um, we're going to be there for you. That's awesome. That's so good. Well, Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to actually uh, walk through that stuff. We I think we covered more than than I was hoping for. I think the real point of all this was really so people could hear your heart and 
uh, thankful that they did because at, at the end of it, I think we are better together, but you've outlined some things that, uh, that give us some hows. Uh, we actually have to be vulnerable. We actually have to step out. Mm-hmm. We do have to find help in coaching or counseling or whatever that is. And so Otherwise, we suffer in silence, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we don't know how to we don't know how to break the cycle. But uh, I'm excited. I'm uh, thankful for a Healthy Leader Network. Thankful for the good team that we have, of which you're a part of, and looking forward to uh, what God has for us. Uh, not just in this year, but or the f- next four years, but in the decades to come. Because yeah. I think as we as we make good uh, decisions now, and I think we've had a lot of good decisions that have steered us to the place mm-hmm. we are now, um, but but you know it sure helps us to to continue to move toward uh, toward health and vitality.